This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Indeed. You are on Saturday Magazine with Macca and Janet. Our next guest is the member for McNamara making a rare appearance from the Pacific. <laughs> no, not true. Uh, Josh is the member for McNamara and uh, very active in the area. Now, Josh, I wanted first to ask, you know, because we're speaking to Richard Keane about it, you've often mm. spoken about when you've, uh, you know, Papua New Guinea and, mm. and other places in our near neighbours talking, you know, and looking into what's going on with HIV there. Can you give us a little bit of an update or, you know, what what your most recent trip was about? Uh, so the last time I went to Papua New Guinea where we specifically looked at HIV was sort of the second half of last year. Yep. And it's, it's a real challenge there for a couple of reasons. One is that there are cultural issues where uh, it can be quite stigmatised mm. to be an openly gay person in Papua New Guinea. It's quite a religious country. Um, and obviously there is a... The same proportion of people in every country, um, and and they there is you know there is mixed cultural inclusion depending on which part of the country you are in, but already there's stigma that people are fighting, and then and then the other big issue is that the health services in Papua New Guinea generally are very very poor, and yeah. and so you've you've got a combination of people who can't access quality health services at the best of times while also trying to you know overcome at times really difficult stigma that they face for being an openly you know openly gay person and and trying to then deal with all the the health issues so it's really difficult in saying that though what you do have is What's what's sort of this new phenomenon of community workers, health workers, community health yeah. workers, which would, which their job is to go into communities and talk about these things, talk about HIV, and we do a lot of work with um, a lot of the NGOs and a lot of even the churches um, and um, and uh, and other multilateral um, organisations whose job it is to go and tackle HIV right. and um, and it's it's. You know, despite these immense challenges, Macca, you do have these incredible people who go in there and are saving lives because they break down stigma. They talk about it being a completely normal scenario, and that if you've got HIV, the best thing to do is to try and uh, is to is to get you know get the, the the appropriate medication that you need to manage it. It was interesting what Richard said about you know the percentage of referrals. Um, you know, our, you know, a lot of it is coming from our region. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, it's good to see that work going on and, you know, that the Australian government, you know, is, is recognising the challenge there. Now, I wanted to say I've advocated before on this show that I was not a, support, I was not a supporter of the breadth of the Stage 3 tax cuts and I wanted them changed. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome, Macca. It wasn't just me, but... We, we started on a serious note, but before we go to a, the, the other serious conversation of Stage 3, and I know this is a, a not a not a um, visual medium, but, friends, Macca sent me a very scandalous text message throughout the week of him hobnobbing around with some of the uh, real characters of, of of Melbourne and of Australia. And, Macca, do you want to say who, who, you, were, um, who you sent me a photo of yourself with? 
I was at uh, yesterday at Neil Neil Mitchell's thank you lunch, <laughs> and a, a, you know really interesting uh, and, and sometimes challenging group of people in the room. There's a wonderful picture of what looks like two boiled eggs with glasses on, <laughs> which is actually myself and Peter Dutton. And uh, <laughs> you, you, you both could ruin both of your reputations. I know I he doesn't. Yeah. He, you know, if people think my you reputation, wait, wait till you know some of the people on his backbench see you know him consorting with a known homosexual. <laughs> Could be the end of a beautiful friendship. Well, well, at least an open homosexual. An open homosexual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I always, I always like receiving Macca's adventures around town. Uh, that's a, it's always there's good a, to receive. There's a, he was very careful. Uh, Macca was very careful to explain to me that it was the other party who requested. Oh the yes, photo. yes. And when you know the phone and uh, probably not speaking too much out of school, I was holding the you know the phone up to do the picture, and and Peter said. Um, Oh, let me do it. I've got longer arms. And I said, they all say that. <laughs> <laughs> proving proving well, that the leader of the opposition does have a sense of humour. Well, he must do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So well, Anyway, sorry, sorry, everyone. I didn't mean to sort of bring it down to the gutter, but alas, here we are. We, uh, yeah, we, we want to talk about stage three? Happy yeah. Back so yeah. I was, you know... None of us want to pay tax, right? But all of us... I don't a, mind paying tax. As a member of... Well, of a community... I like to have a hospital and a school. Yeah, family. exactly. You know, we want services. We've got to pay for them. Yep. And at the end, you know, the stage three tax cuts, you know, at and and the amount of money that was given at the top end of the scale yeah. was, was scandalous. And I advocated very strongly that it needed to be a change, and yep. I did that right from the get-go. I am really glad that the government... Has Listen to Macca. No, it wasn't. You know, I don't think they have, but that <laughs> well, yeah. they've actually seen that. Oh, and everybody else. That's our motto. <laughs> and, the, and, and, and that, you know, they're revenue neutral hmm. um, because cost of living isn't just about, you know, helping people out, you know, with their energy costs or their hmm. Medicare rebates. It's actually about how much money you have yeah. in your hand, in your pocket. And this is one way to do it. Um I do think that, you know, some of the commentary around it, um, you know, the opposition have said, oh, well, you know, first off, you know, the, the government's broken a promise. Not that they ever did, of course. But the reality is it's about cutting the cloth to suit. So I want to, you know, say not just to you, Josh, but to the government, thank you for those changes. I think they're important. They're actually about equity. Hmm. And, you know, someone earning more than $200,000 a year doesn't really need a $9,000 tax cut. Mm. A $4,500 tax cut is quite fine. Mm. And so people further down the scale, it's going to make a big difference to people, you know, uh, you know, uh, who are just surviving, you mm. know, to get, you know, a few more dollars a week. It mm. really does make a difference. So how hard has it been to sell? Yeah. Honestly, I... <laughs> I think I'm very privileged to represent a community that are very thoughtful and who are socially minded as well. And I had a lot of people make representation to me to say, look, I, I, you know, I'm actually in the higher income earners. I'm going to do quite well out of this, mm -hmm. but I fundamentally think it's unfair. I've also had some people say to me, you know, look, in politics – it's important to stick with what you say and, and there's been a couple of people who are upset about it but 
but frankly, the overwhelming number of people who have spoken to me about this think, A, it's fairer, it's the right call. And and, and, and going back to what you said, Maka, you know, people have been doing it really, really tough. Mm. Interest rates rises have been going up. You know, I've had about 13 interest rate rises, which have put huge pressures yeah. if you've got a mortgage. Rent rises have gone up. Grocery prices have gone up, which we're making. Uh, we've just started a, an ACCC inquiry on the on the supermarkets. Going to the petrol station is expensive. People's everyday costs have gone up. And you can't ignore that. You, ha- you have to try and address it. And I think this, this reform was the right call. It's a difficult call. But it's the right call, and and frankly, the tax package that Scott Morrison left us, you know, I thought was was wrong, and I thought, you know, we're the Labor Party. We believe in a progressive tax system, which goes on this principle that says the more you earn, the more you pay, and we're all in this together. Yeah. And and I think that's a really important principle. People who are still earning high incomes are going to get uh, a significant tax reduction, and I think that's you know that they are already proportionally paying a high amount of tax, but. People who are on the modest and medium incomes can't miss out because, frankly, they are and they have been some of the hardest hit by the cost of living pressures. So this is the first stage of really major cost of living pressures. I think it's really important and and it hasn't been difficult because it's the right policy and the right policy shines through. It's a completely different world from 2019, isn't it? I mean, that was pre-COVID and pre-everything that we've gone through over the last... And and also, I mean, you know, also... We, we we had to we moved amendments to make the tax system fairer in stage three when they were originally put through, but you can't stand in the way of tax reductions for people, and ultimately we yeah. we supported it. Um, and and I think, but when you're in government, and this is the importance of having good governments, if that when you're in government you can control the agenda and you can set the agenda in a way that is fairer and and. And this is why I'm involved in the Labor Party is that we can shape government in a way that hopefully benefits, you know, benefits all Australians. In McNamara, we're going to have 95,000 people who are going to get a reduction in their tax, and that wouldn't have happened under the previous model. So I think it's the right decision, and I think it's, I think it's fairer, I think it's um, more equitable, and it's, you know, and it's going to be better for Australians. 95,000 people. Or getting it, you know, in McNamara. That's one electorate. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to have a, a break shortly, Josh. And when we come back, I mm. want to talk about um, uh, recent government legislation, yep. particularly around workplaces, and the one about uh, employers not being permitted to contact their mm. workers out of hours, either yep. by phone or by email. I actually worked for a German car company, which most people know. They actually had a rule. And it was 6 p.m. that a manager or, you know, anyone, you were not allowed to contact uh, any of your team on a work-related matter after 6 p.m. because it wasn't on it entirely. But that was a rule of of the company and a particular – the Germans are particularly vigilant on that. But – of course, they love rules. But the Italians, of course, completely ignored it. Um, I want to talk about – you know, where that's come from. Yep. And, you know, because it's not my experience necessarily that it's a big problem. But, you know, I've been speaking to people during the week and for a lot of people it, it is a problem because mm. what it actually does is it extends the workday. Mm. Um, you, know, you, you know, if an employer said, oh, look, we're actually going to pay you, 
$50 extra to be effectively on call mm. from when you finish work to when you come back, people go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, but they're not. Mm. So I'd like to have a chat about that. You are on Saturday Magazine with Macca and Janet. Stay with us. Josh Burns is not allowed to leave the studio yet. Tell you what, the messages are running hot this morning, aren't they, Janet? They are. We're just message after message. Message Lots of engagement. So does that show we're doing a good job, do you think, Macca? Yeah, well, shows people are listening. That's a good start, Um, isn't it? That's why you're here. Yeah, exactly. It's a beautiful day. People are outside and got joy on in the background and doing some gardening or having a coffee. Yeah, but they're stopping to engage with emails and messages, which Mm. is just fantastic. So thank you. Keep it up, everybody. It's great to hear from you. First off, Josh, hmm. let's talk about this, call, you know, calling and contacting people out yep. of work hours. Um, it's not, you know, the government's legislated for this. It's not unique in the world. Where did this, because really until quite recently I didn't, I wasn't aware that the government was wanting to, it was part of another legislative package. Hmm. But So where did this come from? Has this come, you know, from the union movement? Has it come from, you know, backbench MPs? Where's where's it come from? Well, we put through a tranche of of legislation called the Closing Loopholes Bill, which was all about trying to give more uh, power to employees to be able to... um, to be able to manage different workplace scenarios. The first, the, the big changes around casual workers. So we want to give p- a pathway to permanency by choice. So casual workers can choose to apply to become permanent and have pathways to permanent. Obviously, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of Australians who will choose not to be because it doesn't suit their own living standards and their own living arrangements. But there will be people who want to become permanent employees. The other part of the legislation is also around reforming the gig economy. So we've had you know, a number of gig economy workers who have been put under immense pressure uh, to deliver goods in a way that was frankly dangerous, uh, not being paid adequately, seeing you know there are times where the the income does spike for gig economy workers in in peak time and peak demand, but then when it's not, and depending on the nature of the company and and the responsibility of the company, gig economy workers can be put under immense pressure, mm. dangerous pressure for inadequate pay below the minimum wage. So we've we've legislated minimum standards um, around that, and and there well there there will be minimum standards for gig economy workers, and, and then the other part of the legislation was an amendment to that bill, which um, was negotiated with the Senate, which is around ensuring that people uh, people can you know. If, if you're not at work, you, you know, you can't be harassed by your workplace. Now, this doesn't come in for six months, and it's important to mention that at the moment, the way in which it's drafted is something that we're going to amend slightly. So it, it, there is a criminal penalty that was originally put in. We moved an amendment to reduce it to a civil penalty, so companies won't be criminally prosecuted for it, but there would still be mm. a, a course of action available to people. And we're, we're going to fix that because that's, you know, this is, we, we, we've got to be sensible here. But the principle here is, is one that we fundamentally support, which is, you know, if you're at work, you should be paid adequately at work. And if you're not at work, then you should be able to switch off and you should be able to- The eight-hour day. Well, eight, 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 you know, yeah. eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours play. So I think, I think, you know, unfortunately, our workplaces are reflecting that less and less. People are working long hours. Uh, but, you know, we do, we do want people to be able to have the uh, security in their own employment and to be able to say, look, 
when I'm at work, I'm going to work. Yeah. I'm going to work hard. But when I'm at home, I need mm. the ability to be with my family or to be at home or to switch off or to take care of myself. Um, I think that's a really important balance that that we should ensure that employees have that uh, that security and that confidence to be able to take that step as yeah. well. You know, I've always, you know, those reforms in the gig economy and, and uh, about people in insecure work, I've never really understood the people who oppose that. People that say, oh, well, you know, this is the market happening. You know, they should just come out and say, well, we actually support employment apartheid. We actually think certain groups of people shouldn't be, you know, certain jobs shouldn't be allowed, uh, shouldn't be able to earn a decent income. They shouldn't have employment protections. And for those of us, you know, who use a lot of these services, understand that the person who's delivering your food or doing Mm. something else for you in a lot of cases, is not being properly compensated. Mm. And we have a responsibility of consumers to actually say to those companies or those services, we actually want people to be paid properly. Absolutely. You know, we can't just go, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. But I mean, you know, so I've sat down and spoken with a lot of gig economy workers throughout this process. I've got a lot who live and work in my mm. electorate and- you know, and and you hear you hear mixed responses. I mean, some people really like the flexibility to be able to turn on an app and and go to work when they when they want, and whether that's early in the morning or late yeah. at night. You know, I've had young young people who, frankly, really like the working arrangements yeah. and have, have done it for years, and and that's great. But there there have also been people. You know, we we met a young worker last week who came up to Canberra who was working. I'm not going to mention the company because, um, just out of respect, but. You know, she mentioned the company. It was a, a large, a large gig, you know, platform where she was earning basically six dollars an hour in the most horrific pressurized conditions and had no course of action, no minimum standards, no ability to earn the minimum wage. Mm. And she was asked to, you know, when, when she approached her company, she they, they basically told her, you know, if you don't like it, leave. Yeah. And and that's not fair. And I don't think that in, in Australia we would accept that sort of a, arrangement happening in our workplaces. Why would we accept it happening in the gig economy either? So this is the first, this is really the first time where we've entered into regulating the gig economy. And I think it's really important that all workers have a sense of security, stability and support. And that's what this, this tranche And it's will about do. dignity, you know. Absolutely. And respect. And as consumers, we actually need to be more vigilant on this. Um, you know, if you don't want to pay someone five bucks to, you know, to deliver your food, well, go and get it, right? Don't expect them to deliver it for Try $2. telling that to my 19-year-old. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> equally the 19-year-old, you know, will get annoyed and upset if they're in the situation where they're being paid shit money. Well, um, that's right, and I think that's my comeback, a long lecture on workers' rights yeah. and collective bargaining. Yeah. But, um, I, I mean, I think that we've got a, a comment back going around the right to switch off, and it was that somebody said here that um, they've just started working at a new school and have been um, taken aback by it's got a really good influ- influ- um, emphasis on staff well-being and they've mm. been taken aback by the culture of the place, which is really encouraging people not to respond to any um, work requests or um, messages mm. after five o'clock. Um, and that's just, you know, a world mm. away from the previous um, place that they worked. Mm. And, I, and I think, you know, obviously 
each industry has different requirements and um, and each workplace has different culture. How important is it to have this legislation as opposed to people actually trying to create much better cultures in the workplace? Well, the truth is both is important because each workplace does have a responsibility to set the culture for their own their own team. And, you know, first of all, let me say that in a school and as educators, I mean, our teachers are required to do an extraordinary amount of work. And, it, mm. and, and you know, we just had the start of the school year and our teachers are already exhausted because of the amount of work that it takes to be an educator. And I do think that while there are instances where parents should have the ability to communicate uh, with their teacher, you know, it's also really important that parents need to be respectful about when the appropriate time for that is. And, uh, and, and I think it's, I think it's a balance. I mean, obviously, obviously in politics, we have huge hours and we, you know, my, my team. You'd love an eight hour day, wouldn't you? <laughs> what time is it on a Saturday? I've got right a, now? I've got a team member in here who, who, um, <laughs> You know, certainly we, we do, we do, you know, we do, we contact it when the media cycle, we, we contact, we start our day early and unfortunately we finish it late sometimes. And, and that is built into a contract of a political op, um, staff member who, that, you know, almost every contract has out of hours um, supplementary income because it, it's just, it's just the, the reality of life in politics. But I, I, I do think that having this legislated respects the principle that employees need to be mindful of what an so employers need yeah. to be mindful of what an employee is going through and you cannot take advantage of it. And I think some, obviously some people do it really well. And I'm really pleased that the, that teacher is, is part of a school and an education environment where that is respected and that time to, to, you know, to recharge is respected. But obviously there are others who don't do it as well. You know, there's some advocacy going on, Josh, uh, amongst people that work for parliamentarians that they want a, a pay increase hmm. i hope the government grants it and acknowledges that that's my advocacy for today is um <laughs> you know, very popular among the staff members a, across the smiling you know, in the corner here you know whether it's working for you whether it's working yeah. for peter dutton whether it's working for dean smith or zoe it doesn't matter yeah right those but, jobs having seen the sort of Work that goes on. Um, there is yeah. a serious point here, Maka, which please, you're 100 percent right. Pay them more. Well, you're 100 percent right in that the parliament needs to reflect, yeah, you know, workplaces around Australia, and whether it be the staff of political offices or whether it be just the parliamentary staff, yes. uh, they need to work in an environment that is respectful and that is safe. And obviously, there have been some extremely high-profile instances yeah. where that has not happened. Uh, but more broadly, there was excellent work that was done by the former Sex um, Discrimination Commissioner, Kay Jenkins, who uh, did the Set the Standard report. And she she really has transformed the culture of the building, and, and I pay homage to her. Um, but but Parliament needs to be a, a you know a model workplace, and, and frankly, it's getting better. But I think there's still a way to go. An awful saying, and it's it's a little bit sexist. It's not meant to be. No man is an island, even unto himself. Mm. Parliament needs to practice what it preaches, Absolutely. what it legislates, and it needs to provide 
you know, and there's a lot of work being done there. I know that, but uh, I think I think it's also about how what we expect from our politicians yeah. and from and, and what the you know through the media and the pressure that everybody's under to respond instantly in this twenty four seven news cycle. I mean, m- maybe we all need to get a bit of a grip and recognize <laughs> recognize that you've got to get balance in life. Otherwise, what's the point, right? So you've got to have good life. Good life is having a lot of balance, balance yeah. between work and Absolutely. rest and play. Absolutely. So, Josh, we're just about out of time. Um, always ask this. Hmm. What do you most want to achieve? I mean, next year, obviously, you want to be re-elected. <laughs> but this year, what do you most want to achieve? You know, is there something, a bit of a stretch target for you? that There's the first piece of policy work that I'm currently going through is around our human rights committee. Yes. That is a big piece of work that I've been going, working through with, uh, with some of my colleagues in the Secretariat and we'll be finishing that in March. So over, over February and March, there'll be a lot of effort into right. into nailing and landing some really serious recommendations around how Australia respects human rights and uh, adheres to human rights obligations. Uh, later in the year, then we'll have the budget and we'll be, we'll, we'll be building in a whole range of um, commitments and local projects that I've, I've already started working on and, and around you know what, what are we going to do for McNamara, especially leading into the election. And that's, that's a big piece of work that I'm going to be doing. Uh, we're already starting to deliver the ones that we've already committed. And now we're looking to what, what else we can do in the future. Um, but all of that, plus, you know, be good to I've, there, there is some important reform around housing as yes. well that I'm, I'm, I've been working with some of my colleagues and making sure that we are keeping pace with the demand on housing, which is extremely challenging uh, and probably the biggest policy dif- challenge that government's got at the moment, along with cost of living. So th- yeah. there's some of the things we'll be working on this year. Cool. Thank you, Josh, for giving time in your Saturday to come in. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Really appreciate it. Um, we've got you rostered in for another appearance soon. So Well, we will also, we'll also have the um, religious discrimination yes. uh, reforms mm. that will be coming up, which I know people will be very interested in, but I, I also would be very keen to come here and talk about it. Yes. And I've been speaking with Equality Australia and speaking with the Attorney General's office. And, and I, there's, I, think there's, I think there will be some reassurance that people will have you know, nothing to fear on this one, unlike the Morrison reforms, which had spikes all over it. This one will be one where I hopefully will be, will be really united. A previous member for Goldstein, not Zoe, because she's the current member, said on this station that we had nothing to fear from the government's proposed, see, even Baz agrees, from the then government's proposal uh, on religious freedom. Well, guess what? We did have a lot to fear. Sure. Anyway. So we'll, we'll well, be th- great This is why I you. will be here, Macca, and I will, I will answer any questions Good. that you would like. Thank Excellent. you. Team, Thank you. always a pleasure. Have a great day. Stay Thanks, with us. Josh. You're with Macca and Janet. We'll be back. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.